All right, today's scripture reading comes from Psalm 145. So you're going to turn to Old Testament, Psalm 145, verses 8 to 9. And then we're going to turn to Luke 18. But why don't we turn to Psalm 145 first. Psalm 145, verses 8 to 9. And I'll read this from the ESV. Verse 8 to 9. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and His mercy is over all that He has made. All right, why don't we turn to Luke 18. Luke is in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke. And so we're going to Luke 18, um, verses 9 to 14. This is the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. So let me read this for us. Luke 18, verses 9 to 14. He, that's Jesus, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breasts, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This is the word of God. Good morning, everyone. Um, for those who don't know me, uh, my name is Daniel. I'm one of the pastors here at Kingsway. And again, it's always a uh, joy and privilege to stand here and uh, unpack God's word uh, together. Um, if you joined us for the first time, um, and, uh, or you've joined us uh, a couple of times in the past couple of weeks, uh, just a fresh reminder, we're going through a sermon series on looking at some of the, uh, I guess, attributes and characteristics of God as he has revealed himself uh, through the scriptures, uh, particularly uh, the communicable attributes is what we call it, uh, essentially attributes that we as people made in the image of God, and especially those of us who have been saved and redeemed by Jesus, uh, should and ought to uh, exhibit and emulate. Uh, so that's just a, a fresh little reminder for us uh, that that's what we're uh, looking at today. And we've been looking at it for the last couple of weeks, and we'll look at it uh, for the next couple of weeks uh, as well. Uh, but before I jump into today's attribute, uh, let's ask God for some help, shall we? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we reflect on the great truth that you have not left us alone, but you have revealed yourself to us. We're so grateful for that. We're thankful that in your word, you have revealed yourself and most perfectly revealed yourself in your son, the Lord Jesus. Through him, we worship you this morning and in him, we have life eternal. And I pray that today might be a day of uh, great encouragement, uh, a stern reminder to those who believe and another motivating factor so that we might live this life not for our sake, but for yours. Not our will, but yours be done. Amen. 
Um, one of the, uh, I guess, uh, I kind of like to think of it as the three uh, most important, uh, three important sort of, I guess, fields or, or spaces that um, a healthy Christian um, can be involved in. Uh, number one is obviously attendance uh, on Sunday, regular attendance on Sunday. Uh, number two, um, uh, involvement in some sort of ministry team or serving and building up the church. And then, uh, of course, number three uh, is uh, some sort of weekly small groups. I think those three are very, very important things uh, for all Christians to sort of consider. Um, let me tell you a little bit about my uh, first experience uh, of leading a uh, church small group. Uh, I was 21. So uh, not only was I uh, fresh and young, but I was also fresh and young as a Christian. Um, I've only been a Christian uh, since I was uh, 19, so about two, three years uh, with uh, walking with the Lord. And then um, uh, in God's kindness, I was uh, able to lead a small group. Um, it was great. Uh, some of you guys are, uh, were in that growth group, a uh, small group, and you're still here, uh, so praise God. Um, one of the, uh, there were lots of uh, memorable moments, but one of the most kind of uh, memorable moments that struck me, and it still strikes me now, uh, was when a uh, particular person, um, we were having sort of, I guess, discussions about the Bible, of course. Um, sorry, there's a little uh, visual aid for you to think about it. Um, uh, she asked me a, a very, very, uh, very simple but um, very significant question. Uh, she said to me, uh, Daniel, I don't get it. I don't get how, how is it that, how is it fair that some of us are Christian uh, and others uh, are not? Uh, isn't that so unfair uh, that God saves some people but doesn't seem to save all people? Uh, to put it simply, uh, her question was, is God unfair? Is God unfair? And it's a fair question to ask. Uh, probably a question we get asked at some point when we talk about faith with our non-Christian friends. It will be. Uh, it's probably also a question that you've asked yourself as a Christian uh, when you question your own faith, especially in times when life is tough, uh, when tragedy uh, is on our doorstep. Is God unfair? Uh, two weeks ago, we looked at the uh, justice of God. Uh, can you guys give me an eye if I like, cover up the, the screen? Just, I can't, yeah, anyways. Um, two weeks ago, uh, we looked at the justice of God. God is just. And Paul really uh, uh, helpfully gave us a definition. Uh, justice is getting what you deserve. Sounds simple enough. Uh, God punishes evil and evildoers. Uh, last week, we looked at the grace of God. Getting what you do not deserve. Beautiful. God gives us eternal life in Jesus. This week, we look at uh, the third and final cut of the pie, if you will. Uh, the mercy of God. Yep. The mercy of God. Uh, in other words, not getting uh, what you deserve. Uh, in a way... Uh, let me quickly answer that question, and then we'll sort of flesh out uh, the answer as we uh, look at our uh, talk. Is God unfair? Yes. And it's all to do with God's mercy. I think we often brush past the mercy of God, don't we? Uh, as Christians, we love to talk about the love of God. We love to talk about the grace of God. 
We even tend to talk about the justice of God a fair bit. But the mercy of God. When was the last time you prayed about God's mercy? I think when we pray, uh, I definitely do, uh, we often say, you know, gracious God, to refer to God, or, or, or loving Father. But merciful God? Merciful Father? I, I thought about it, and I honestly couldn't remember the last time, uh, before I started prepping this talk, uh, that I prayed to God and referred to Him as merciful God, merciful Father. But, in the scriptures, we read time and time again, whenever we see God's love and God's grace or God's justice, God's mercy is also talked about. I think that the mercy of God is a phrase we often read about in the Bible, and it is also a truth that we kind of think we know. We assume it, but rarely do we ever Think about what it means. And our two uh, Bible passages today, one from the Old Testament and the other from the New Testament, will compose our two points, and we're going to flesh it out. And as we do, have this question at the back of your mind. Is God unfair? Let's do it. We're looking at the Old Testament. The Old Testament is full of references to God's mercy. I could have chosen any number of so many passages. Um, I think an often misunderstood criticism I hear uh, when you look at the Bible uh, is that the Old Testament God seems a little bit angry all the time. Have you ever heard that criticism? He, he's, a, he's an angry, vindictive God. Uh, he's all about justice and wrath. There's no grace and mercy and love. Well, I think, number one, people who say that haven't really read the Old Testament, uh, properly at least. And number two, I think they tend to have a sort of agenda-driven uh, axe to grind against the Christian faith, if you will. Uh, because uh, when we look at the Old Testament, that's not the case. We're going to look at just one example of uh, God's mercy uh, in the Old Testament. Uh, many descriptions of God's Mercy is found all throughout, particularly the book of Psalms. Psalms is the book of praise uh, that were used by the people of Israel. And I've, just, I've picked just one out of the many. So uh, Paul read it for us, uh, Psalm 145, uh, verses 8 to 9. Let me read it again. Uh, the Lord is gracious and merciful. There it is. Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy. There it is again is over all that he has made. When you read the Old Testament, not only are you going to find references to the mercy of God everywhere, you're going to find references to this uh, phrase everywhere. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. A few weeks ago, we looked at the holiness of God. The holiness of God is the only phrase that describes God that is repeated three times in, in one statement. The grace, love, and mercy of God as one description is repeated again and again and again throughout the Bible. 
You see, the very first time God reveals himself to the people of Israel on uh, Mount Sinai in the book of Exodus, he is described like this. It is one of the most quoted sayings in the Old Testament. Put it this way, if the holiness of God is the most important attribute of God, and it is, then the mercy of God is among the most frequent descriptions of God. So we have to ask that question, why? Why is the mercy of God used so much in the Old Testament to describe God? Well, because you could say that the entire story of the Old Testament, and the New, of course, but specifically the Old Testament, is about God, who is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love for a people who reject, rebel, and run from Him. That's, in a nutshell, the story of the Old Testament. From Genesis to Malachi, what do the people of Israel do? They reject God's commands. They serve other gods. They, they ignore and offend God almost at every turn. If you haven't already noticed, let me be clear, the story of the Old Testament is not a happy one. If the relationship between God and His people were a marriage, it would be full of betrayal, adultery, and breaking of trust. And unlike in most human marriages, it comes squarely from one side alone. You know, in fact, uh, the book of Hosea, which is a book in the Old Testament, talks about God's relationship with his people as a marriage. And it's not a pretty picture. Have a look in your spare time. But we looked at two weeks ago, God is just. God punishes evil because he is good and evil cannot stand in his presence. So therefore he cannot leave an evil people alone. And there are times throughout the Old Testament where God does demonstrate his justice. But God, because he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, relents again and again. He doesn't execute his justice again and again. He is patient and again and again and again. The common theme of the Old Testament is of a rebellious people in relationship with a merciful God and unfaithful people in relationship with a faithful God. Um, when you read the passage, uh, when you followed along with the passage, if you had a different translation of the Bible, and uh, not the English Standard Version, uh, maybe the NIV, uh, maybe the CSB, uh, the, the word compassionate is used instead of merciful. Do you find that interesting at all? <laughs> I did, so I had a look. Why? Well, uh, there are two, uh, these two words, compassion and mercy, are used interchangeably in Scripture. Because the two words describe the two sides of the same coin. The definition, let me, let me kind of unpack it. The, def the definition of mercy, um, we looked at in the beginning, what is it? Not getting what you deserve. Is a definition from the perspective of the receiver. Right? 
Compassion is the definition of mercy from the perspective of the giver, right? And I, and I get this because if you look at the word that we find translated as compassionate and mercy, is actually the same word for a mother's womb. Find that interesting? Maybe not. I did, so I had a look. Why? Um, the womb of a mother. Mercy, compassion, womb. Same word. What does the womb represent? The nurturing bond between a mother and her baby. Praise God, we have a lot of new mums here. Maybe you guys know what I'm talking about. That feeling that you have that you never felt before towards uh, your son or daughter. See, just as a mother shows compassion to their children, even rebellious children, God relates to his people in the same way. So we need to stop and think for a second, or feel rather for a second. Don't think that God doesn't feel anything towards you. He almost certainly does. Our God is holy, but his heart is so very close to his people, even those who rebel against him. When we think about God's mercy, this is the first thing I want us to do. Think about how God feels towards you. God's mercy is not less than action, but it's so much more than that. God knows you and feels for you. Isn't that incredible? You. As a mother's heart is for her child, our God is a God whose heart is fixed toward us. Speaking of action, let's look at verse 9. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all. Let's pause for a second. Let me tell you some things that have happened to you today. Let me tell you some things that are happening to you right now. All of us woke up in the morning. All of us made it to church. All of us are breathing. All of us are alive. If God is really just, and he really is, are any of these things stuff that we deserve? The Bible says that no one is righteous. No, not one. The Bible says that all have sinned. All, there's that word again, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So if we're Bible believers here and we believe what this says, we're all sinners, aren't we? And what do sinners deserve? Justice. 
Brother or sister, have you sinned this week? You deserve justice. The rest of us who aren't Christian, have we sinned this week? We deserve justice. But have you gotten it? Have you gotten what you deserve from God? Think about the world for a second. Is the world we live in a good world or a bad one? Is it a righteous world or a sinful one? Turn on the news and tell me if you think that the world is full of good or full of evil. If this world is sinful, then what does this world deserve? Justice. But his mercy is over all that he has made. And this is our proof. You are the proof. We have not gotten what we deserved. And in this sense, the question, is God fair? No, he isn't. He's merciful. See, this is a hard thing, but it must be said. God has a right to demand our lives. But you're still alive. Each of us have a number of years, months, days, hours, minutes, and seconds. And every moment, every moment is proof that God is showing mercy to us. We are all under mercy. It doesn't matter whether you're grateful for it or not. It doesn't matter whether you are a believer or not, whether you love or hate God, whether you believe he exists or whether you think that all that I'm saying, all that we're doing here is just make-believe. doesn't matter. This is the claim of the Christian faith. God gives mercy to all, everyone, every person. Jesus talks about it in Matthew 5.45. For he makes his son rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Maybe, maybe one of the reasons why we as Christians don't tend to reflect a lot about God's mercy is because we don't tend to reflect on what we really deserve. Maybe that's the case. Maybe one of the reasons why we don't practice a, a daily personal relationship with the living God is because we fail to recognize God's mercy in the dailiness of life. You see, friends, everything in life we enjoy is because God does not give us what we deserve. And a word for uh, those of us who uh, don't believe, let me suggest this to you. Mercy is being given to you now. You are under mercy now. Because 
I'll tell you another thing about it. Unlike so many millions of people across the world today, where are you? You're at church. You're sitting in a church service. You just sang or listened to songs about Jesus. You're hearing a talk about God's mercy right now. Christians believe that this is not an accident. Will you consider that? That at this very moment, God's mercy is over you right here. I want us to think and, and, and think through uh, about God's mercy more in our lives, yeah? We can start by thinking when we start the day. It's a good little application point for us all. Uh, Lamentations 3, 22 to 23 says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies, there it is, never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. One of my favorite Bible verses. They are new every morning. This very day, those, those breaths you take, the life you live, are God's mercies. So I challenge you guys to, uh, starting from tomorrow, Start the day in prayer. Just a short prayer. Thanking God for his mercy. Thanking God that you woke up. Thanking God that you got stuff to do that day if you do. Thanking God for a family that if you, if, if you live with uh, your family. Thank God that he doesn't treat us fairly. That we don't get justice. But this day, and Lord willing, tomorrow, we receive mercy. Maybe that's why the prophet Micah describes the good life as acting justly, loving mercy, and walking humbly with your God. Maybe when we love mercy, when we appreciate and recognize mercy, it helps us to walk humbly with God. Because I think when a person is acutely aware that all they have and all they are has nothing to do with what they actually deserve, this has the great spiritual side effect of mowing down entitlement in people. It has the side effect of mowing down pride. And that's my challenge to you. Think about God's mercy every morning because God's mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. That's our first point. Let's move on to the second uh, in the New Testament. So flip over if you've got a Bible, uh, looking at the Gospel of Luke, verse 9 to 14. He also told the parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Contempt being they thought they were better than everyone else. Uh, Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, so a religious leader, and the other a tax collector. I'll talk about him a little bit. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. What do I do? Oh, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. 
But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful. There it is. Be merciful to me, a sinner. What does Jesus say? I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So, in the New Testament, what are we looking at? Jesus is doing his ministry. He's teaching about the kingdom of God. Draws heaps and heaps of people. And in that crowd, there, there are a bunch of religious leaders going, hmm, let's check out what this Jesus has to say. And they kind of join the crowd. Jesus spots them in that crowd. And the passage says that he directs this teaching directly to the religious leaders at the time, right? He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. These are the religious leaders. So let's nut out the story. Jesus talks about two people. They go to a temple. So in our context, they go to church uh, to pray. Uh, let's talk about the Pharisee, religious leader. In fact, he's considered among the best of the morally good and the morally pure. So when we think of the word Pharisee, it's like a derogatory insult. Uh, in those days, it was a position of high authority and esteem. Okay? So these are the, the, the cream of the crop when it comes to uh, the religious uh, best of us. And then you've got the tax collector. Tax collector. This was a man who was the sinner of sinners. Now, tax collectors weren't accountants for the ATO that get you in trouble because you lied a little bit on your tax return. That's not what the tax collectors are doing. This tax collector was basically your neighbor, but he was working for a foreign occupying country that conquered your country, conquered your people, and he is the one who knocks on your door Hey, neighbor Fred, by the way, you got to give X amount of money to me because I need to give it to this foreign occupier so that they can keep funding the army that remains uh, oppressing the people. That's what tax collectors were doing. I, I, I thought about like trying to think about maybe a real life example. I just couldn't because that's, that's, that's pretty, pretty gnarly stuff, right? Your neighbor doing that, your friend doing that. That's what a tax collector did. Now, what, is, what happens here? The Pharisee prays to God. That's a good thing, right? Praying to God. He prays to God and thanks God. Not bad. He thanks God that he isn't like other sinners. I mean, it could be good, right? He talks about how he follows God's commands. Surely that's a good thing. He talks about how he gives 10% of everything he has to the poor and to the temple. Surely that's a good thing. Now, let's look at the tax collector. The tax collector doesn't even go into the temple. So uh, if the tax collector came to our church, literally just outside the door, just couldn't find the, the strength to come into the church. He can't even pray properly. All he's feeling is guilt. He knows what he did. He knows what he did was wrong. He feels shame. He's done a great evil. He knows he's evil. He deserves God's justice and he knows it. But as he 
sits in that shame, he manages to pray just a few words through that shame. Here it is. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. If the previous point about God's uh, mercy was broad, it's to everyone. In the New Testament, we find an example of God's mercy specifically to sinners. The tax collector gets God's mercy, but not the Pharisee. Now, you might think, sure, but think about it. How come? Why? Jesus says in verse 14 that the tax collector uh, alone went back to his house justified rather than the other. You could think that by reading this passage, okay, so in order to receive God's mercy, I need to be like the tax collector so I can do whatever I want and just ask for God's No, that's not, that's not what's going on here, okay? Um, please don't do that mental gymnastics. Uh, let, me, let, me, let me help us out. Uh, the key to understanding this parable is in the first and last phrases. There it is. Jesus told this parable to some who, what? Trusted in themselves. In themselves. And then he finishes it off. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Again, is God unfair? We'll put it this way. Uh, If God is fair, uh, this is what should have happened. The religious leader should have been rewarded by God. He obeyed God's commands. He did what was asked. The tax collector should have been punished. But this didn't happen, did it? The tax collector went down to his house justified. In other words, this man went down to his house being right with God. That's the word, being made right with God. Look at what this tax collector says. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now, how can a sinful, unholy, unrighteous person be made right with God? What do we find in that middle? Mercy. God, sinner, mercy. In the Old Testament, we find uh, the description of God's mercy in his heart towards his people, in his action towards all people. In the New Testament, we see that his heart and his actions collide. Sinners are made right with God because of mercy. Now, you might be thinking, how is this possible? We talked about God's justice. That God rewards good and punishes evil. Surely God cannot ignore sin. Surely he cannot ignore evil. The very sin and evil that this tax collector commits. Hey, he did the wrong thing. What's going on, Jesus? We might not feel the force of Jesus' teaching here, but, but I'm trying my best to kind of communicate that to you. We should be shocked and surprised that Jesus said this. In our modern day and age, where we presume upon 
the grace of God and the love of God, we hear it, we're like, eh, yeah, of course, the tax collector went home justified. But no, try to think, you're, you're part of the crowd and you're hearing this. You're hearing, what, the, the religious leader? What about him? What, the tax collector, my neighbor, Freddie, who steals all my money and gives it to our enemy? What? That's what we ought to be feeling right now. At best, you would be confused. You'd be like, well, what's going on, Jesus? But at worst, you'll be sitting there and you'll be like, this is offensive stuff. The religious teacher is good. The tax collector is evil. How can this evil person be made right with the good God? Is God unfair? That would be the question you might be asking in that moment. But a Christian knows that this story isn't just a parable. It's not a made-up fictional story. It's the true story about me. A Christian knows that. The tax collector in this story is every person in this room that has placed their trust in Jesus. We are all Freddy. God, tax collector, mercy. Jesus. First Peter 1 Peter 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to what? His great mercy. He has caused us to be born again. In Jesus, we don't get what we deserve because what we deserved was given to him. Every sinner, do you know why I know every sinner deserves death? Because Jesus died for me. Sin is rebellion against the author and creator and the ruler of life. But this God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even while we were dead in our sin, made us alive together with Jesus. God's justice satisfied. God's mercy demonstrated. Brother or sister, we are like this tax collector and we go home every day being justified because of mercy. You did not get what you deserve because someone else did. And there is, I believe, an invitation for other tax collectors here who have not yet believed in Jesus. Who have also approached the temple like the story here. Who sit in God's temple. But haven't yet prayed this prayer. Let me tell you, friend, God's kingdom is not for the righteous. It's not for the self-righteous. Because Jesus didn't come for healthy people. God opposes the proud but gives grace 
to the humble. God opposes the proud, but gives mercy to the humble as well. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but one who humbles himself will be exalted. Does anyone here think that they are not good enough for God? Good enough for God, huh? Charles Spurgeon puts it beautifully here. God's mercy is so great that you may soon drain the sea of its water or deprive the sun of its light or make space too narrow then diminish the great mercy of God. Stunning. Do you think what you are and what you have done is too much for God to handle? Let me tell you. His mercy is greater. As one song puts it nicely, our sins, they are many, but his mercy is more. Jesus isn't for people who are good enough. No. He calls those who know that we will never be good enough. So this prayer is an invitation for you. Simple. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Are you ready to pray this prayer? It's a prayer that every Christian here has prayed. And it's a prayer that we continue to pray. Amen. Is God unfair? Yep. And thank God that he is. Because we don't get what he deserve. Uh, we don't get what we deserve. But in God's mercy, we get so much more than what we deserve. We, we get Jesus, mercy. We get life, forgiveness, hope. We get God. That is the gospel. That is what we're all about as believers. Is God really unfair? Let me close it off by bringing us back to the small group conversation that I had. She asked me, is God unfair? And I said, oh, well, what do you mean by that? And she said, isn't it unfair that God saves some people, but others, they go to hell? And I said to her, well, what do you think? And then she says, well, I think it is unfair. That was her answer. I think it is unfair. Why doesn't God save everyone and have no one die without Jesus? Why? And then I said, you're right. You're right. I don't know why God doesn't save everyone. To be honest, I want that to be the case, as does every Christian here. That's what we tell people about Jesus. And then she said, and then I said, I kept saying, but you know what? I don't know why God doesn't save everyone, but I also don't know why God would save anyone. And she said, what do you mean? And I said, well, I don't know why God would save me, for one. I don't know why God would save you. Because not you, not me, 
deserves to be saved. No one does. And I said to her, God doesn't owe us anything except justice because he's just, but he doesn't give us that. What does he give? When the fullness of time was revealed, God gave us his son. So I said to her, okay, to answer your question, is God unfair? Yeah. Because God is merciful. And I'm so glad that he is. That's the answer that I landed on all those years ago. And it's, a, it's an answer that, I don't know if it struck her, <laughs> but it sure did strike me. As I said it, I realized, yeah, God is unfair because God is merciful, because I don't get what I deserve. And I tell you, I've been walking with the Lord for almost 10 years, more than 10 years now. Every day, I, I, I cannot believe God still loves me, because I'm still a sinner. I do evil like the tax collector still, and yet I'm still here. We don't get what we deserve, friends. Day by day, we don't. And by faith in Jesus, we don't. In daily life and in eternal life, we get God's mercy. Let me leave you with this. This sermon series has been looking at the communicable attributes of God. Communicable because we are meant to be like the attributes of God. So, if God is merciful uh, to all and merciful to sinners, what now? Well, Jesus commands his disciples to be merciful as your heavenly Father is merciful. The Old Testament also does this. In the book of Proverbs, uh, the, the wisdom uh, literature calls us to bind mercy and truth around our necks. It's a vivid imagery. To wear it like a necklace. And to write them on the tablet of our hearts. So it's a very important thing as believers to have mercy in our hearts and on our necks. So uh, in each of, a, each of our lives, um, let me just say that like God, um, people will be unjust towards us. All right? We as rebellious children unjustly rebel against God. And we as Christians would also have injustice affected towards us. Because we're Christian. People will find offense at our beliefs. They will take advantage of your Christianness. I know that some of us have experienced that, right? Ah, Christian, you should be loving. You should forgive. Hey, buy my, buy, my, buy my lunch. Christian should be generous. I mean, maybe I'm alone. But yeah, people take advantage of our Christianness. They will judge us according to what they know a Christian should be. They will criticize us when we seem to fail. In that moment, will we argue back and demand justice in those situations? Or will we at times show mercy and let it go? Will we show mercy in the way that we feel compassion to those who are needy like our Heavenly Father does towards them? I could go on and on. This could be a third point, but I'm right on the time. Paul might be, Paul, yeah, I'm right on the time. Um, let me just say this. 
again, a reminder, you have received God's mercy today. And Lord willing, you will receive it tomorrow. What are you going to do with it? Lord, God, cause us to give it to others. So in our acts of mercy, we can show the mercy of God to this world. Amen? Let me pray. We're going to have a a short time of just reflection and prayer. Just think about God's mercy. I've listed some here. But I encourage you to think deeper into your own life today, this week, this month, this year. And just reflect on the mercy of God. Just list it out. Thank God for for what he has not given you. And in return, giving you so much more. And if you're not a believer in this space, this is an encouragement to, to pray in your heart that prayer. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I can guarantee you, friend, God will draw near to you. If you pray those words, honestly, from the depth of your heart, God will draw near. You know how I know this? Because the Bible says that God draws near to those who draw near to Him. God is revealed in the Word to be a God who comes to us if we draw near with all our hearts. So this may be the opportunity for you to do that. Maybe not, but maybe it is. Pray that prayer. Very simple, brother or sister. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. So let's spend just a minute or two in quiet, prayerful reflection before we sing our songs of praise to close us this service. Let's pray.